Welcome everyone to Be Better Betters. I'm the host, Spanky. Thanks for listening. My guest this week is a legend in the Las Vegas bookmaking scene. He's worked at the Fremont, the Stardust, the Mirage, and he's currently at U.S. Bookmaking. Please welcome Robert Walker. Rob, how you doing? I'm doing great, Spanky. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Hey, man. Thanks so much for coming on, Rob. So I'd like to start from the beginning. How was life growing up? Uh, I, interesting. Probably, you know, everybody has interesting stories. But I, uh, you know, I went to 17 different schools uh, growing up. Uh, from fourth grade to 11th grade, I never went to the same uh, school. I never started and finished that year, which I think hurt me athletically. Um, although I was not a very good athlete, so I don't know how much it hurt me. But, uh, you know, we moved around different states, lived in Nevada, lived in California lived in Washington state. So I was able to see a lot of the, uh, well, at least the West coast and Pacific Northwest growing up and, you know, I ended up uh, residing basically and going to college up in uh, Tri-Cities, Washington, which is in the Southeast uh, corner. So, you know, because of that, I'm partial to, as you can imagine, I'm partial to all the Northwest basketball teams. Beautiful. So when, when growing up at 17 different schools, that's amazing, man. Like, did you, was once you made a friend, or did you keep in touch with friends from school to school? Or you were kind of just a roamer? You kind of, did you learn how to make friends easily? I think I used humor, which I, you know, back then I probably would have meant sarcasm, which is what it is now. But I, I have an interesting story. I started school on a Monday in Lodi, California, which is just, uh, I think, below Sacramento. And I started on a Monday and actually met a kid that I knew from Las Vegas. He went to Lewis C. Rowe here in Las Vegas. And I'm like, oh, my God, I know somebody, right? And uh, and we checked out on a Friday. So I went, <laughs> I mean, so we went to a different school. I went there one week, literally five days, and went to a different school about 20 miles down the road. So it, it was difficult, you know, because, like I said, you always came in at the end of, you know, I either came in at the end of the, you know, middle of the season for basketball. I played basketball in, in, um, in, in baseball, but I didn't really get to play football too much. Uh, in California, it was flag football, so my mom let me play flag football my seventh and eighth grade year. But uh, it, you know, it, athletically, it was very difficult because it's not the games that you miss, Spanky. It's the practices. You know, I missed so many practices, and 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 ultimately, when you play sports, as you know, you know your friends are usually on the team, and that's really how you kind of bond. And then uh, you know, my friends to this date, I end up going to the same school for, uh, middle of my tenth grade year to the my senior year. And those are my best friends today, you know? So those are the guys I'm going to spend, you know, I'm going to go down to Scottsdale and meet them to go golfing here sometime in May. So, uh, those are lifelong friends, but, uh, it was tough. I mean, it was, luckily I had four brothers, you know, to keep me, uh, to keep, you know, have companionship and play ball with. Absolutely. Yeah. So is it, you had to do all this traveling cause your mom was working and stuff and it was a lot of different things going on where you, it was just the, the need to travel. My dad worked uh, in it was a pipe fitter plumber, so he worked at the Nevada test site here, and then we worked at uh, well, we didn't. He did. He worked in the, the Diablo Canyon in uh, San Luis Obispo, and he just kind of went wherever the work was at. So they're you know they're travelers, right? So that trade. So you go to the, where the work is at, and he worked on a lot of nuclear power plants. We ended up landing and staying most of the time up in Washington because that's where Hanford nuclear power plants are at. So that kind of became our home. Initially, our home base was Las Vegas, and uh, that ended up becoming our because there was just a lot of work. There was, you know, several several uh, nuclear reactors there that he worked on, and uh, and he was a welder. And uh, so we just went. Out, but he would come home and say, "Okay, uh, job's over. Let's get up and go." And we go to the, on to the next place. You know, we lived in Blaine, Bellingham, you know, Tri Cities, several different places in the Tri Cities, Washington. And uh, in fact, in Tri Cities, Washington alone, I went to three different high schools. So, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, you just, you know, he had to go to where the money's going and uh, is, and we would, we would follow, <laughs> you know, just get in the car and drive away. So, uh, but I always felt Las Vegas was my home. You know, I never, always felt like Las Vegas, I, you know, I lived here, moved here when I was three years old and, you know, always loved it here. And, uh, and obviously what I do now, it's, uh, I've always considered Las Vegas as my, as my home. So you're, you're you're going through all these schools. What, what happens after high school? Well, I ended up going to college for seven years because I changed my major. Um, I was a first one as a journalism major. I had a I worked at a newspaper in Washington. I had my own column. I covered the sports. It was great because I got paid to 
cover my brothers when they played. My, one of my brothers was a uh, fantastic baseball player, and the other one was a really good basketball player. So I would literally get paid to go watch them play. So that was kind of cool. Uh, but when they graduated and when they were done playing, I, I, I said, is this something I want to do for the rest of my life? And, you know, the answer was no. There was not a whole lot of money in journalism back then, or today probably. So I changed my major to political science. And then I said, what am I going to do with that? And then I came to actually end up going to UNLV to, and changed my major there to economics. And, uh, and, and unbelievably enough, I got a job at what was back then was called Sports Forum. Today it's called Gaming Today. And I uh, wrote for them. And, and that's kind of how I learned about the sports book industry was, um, you know, being a writer and talking, you know, ended up talking to Vic and, you know, some of the sunny writers, some of the legends back then, you know, I was able to talk to on a weekly basis and, now I wasn't smart enough to ask for a job though. I didn't I didn't ask for a job. I just I actually waited until an ad came in and said they're hiring a ticket writer and I applied for it, got it and then, you know, the rest worked my way up. The rest is kind of history. Great. So th- did you always have not just from the journalism, did you always have this thing for writing? Were you did you always feel like you were a good writer? I did. I, I you know, I love sports. You know, I grew up, I just lived and died sports. You know, it was so much different uh, growing up when, I, you know, back in the, you know, the 70s and 80s like I did. You, you didn't have, you know, we didn't have all this television. People can't believe, you know, we had, you know, a tape delayed Monday night baseball game. And you, the only way you got to watch all the NFL games was the highlights from Monday night football. And, you know, it, it's unfathomable now to even think that way, right? But there wasn't a whole lot of games on. You know, major games, even NBA playoffs, I think, were tape delayed. So it was, you know, it was just different. But I always loved it. Always was fascinated by it. So I, I thought journalism and covering sports was going to was what I was going to do. And uh, and it's only when I got to Vegas that I, I you know I fell in love with this side of the industry. And, and one of the things I told people that I loved about it was, you know, if you book a game, you win or lose, but you don't have to go talk to the losing team. You know, and when you're a journalist. It's so tough to go into that locker room, especially when it's elimination, like in tournaments where they, you know, everybody's crying and, you know, it's easy to go into the winning locker room, right? And they're, they're all happy and jubilant and everything else, but the losing when they're never going to play again, most of these kids, you know, seniors in high school and stuff, and they're done forever and having to go interview them and ask them about the game, it, it, it you know, it's gut-wrenching, you know, and uh, I said, I can't, I'm not, I don't want, you know, and plus I don't have a vested interest. So I, once I saw, you know, how the sports book industry works, I said, you know, and I loved horse racing back then, which, you know, I was a huge horse racing fan. I used to make my own numbers and just loved that aspect of it. I quickly found out that doesn't pay the bills, though, because nobody cares if you like races. You better be a sports book guy or <laughs> you're not going <laughs> to go very far in the industry. So, uh, you know, I obviously I love sports. So, but, I, yeah, I always, I always thought I was a great writer. There's people that are so much better. I read stuff now that I mean, it's just at a different level, Frankie. I, I could have never – I was never that clever. I was never going to go too far in the industry. I just had a passion for it, and, you know, I loved it. And, then, you know, and like I said, anytime you can get paid to watch sports, which is what we do now, you know, it's it's a good thing. You know, I mean, there's people that actually work for a living. So I, <laughs> I, like, I like doing that, and I love doing what I do now. Yeah, that's there's a lot of stuff there. That was so great. You make a great point about the you know interviewing the losing team. Whenever there's an elimination, they only interview the losing coach. It's rare you ever get a sneak into that losing team on what just happened. Nobody ever sees that you know the coach comes out and or the manager just does a quick interview. But yeah, as as a journalist and as a writer, you'd have to actually interview some of these players. And the last thing they want to do is talk to you. Um, after they just so, man, that, that 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 I never even thought of it that way. That's a pretty tough pill to swallow. So um, so you know, okay, so so now you 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 get a job as a ticket writer. You apply for an ad. Where do you start? Um, where do you start as a ticket writer? Well, it's interesting. The ad I applied for was at Santa Anita. That was a old standalone uh, sports book on the Strip, and I went and worked. I started on a Monday. I got a raise on a Wednesday and then quit on Friday uh, because I got hired. I knew Kenny White and Jeff Garrett from uh, playing softball with them. I used to travel around playing softball. And, and so I, they asked me if I wanted to come over to the Fremont. Jeff had just got that job, and I said, of course. You know, it was a huge raise for me back then. I had just got married, and it was a substantial raise to go to the Fremont as a ticket writer. So I went there and worked under Kenny White. 
uh, in them and, and, you know, just really, you know, they were like, you know, bookmakers, bookmakers, you know, they were made their own numbers and, you know, Kenny White still does to this day. So we were pretty aggressive. And back then there wasn't any downtown, um, really there was a minimal amount of downtown uh, sports books. I mean, even Horseshoe didn't have a sport, Billions Horseshoe didn't have a book back then. So, you know, we, we wrote all the big bets when there was a poker tournament, we took some, you know, the largest wager. So, I ended up working there for a year and, you know, and, and learning a, a, just the absolute con. And then, you know, and then, and then eventually, you know, was able to utilize some of that, uh, you know, moving forward, stuff that, you know, that I thought worked and then some of the stuff that I didn't think worked. And, uh, and you know, and just so you know, we're still, that's an ongoing process today. You know, there's stuff that might have worked, you know, t- you know, guys like you, you know, keep us on our toes. And stuff that worked 10 years ago, you know, may not work as well today so it's it's it's, a, it's it's an evolution that would never end man so that yeah it's a great point you just made that's um it, you never stop learning um it, once you think you know it all is when um is is the beginning of the end and it's the start of the demise so um i i totally agree with that uh, when you're at the Fremont, so Kenny White is, is there, and, and, and you're writing tickets, because um, the you know downtown at least. I don't, what year are we talking about here? Eighty-six. My in my first day riding on the job, I, I got robbed. So uh, my very first day riding on the job, I got robbed for eleven thousand um, dollars. Most of it was because I was an idiot. You know, I left. He asked me a bunch of questions. I said, "Let me get the supervisor." I walked about 10 feet away from my drawer and he reached over and he, of course my first day I had all my hundreds bundled really nicely and everything else. And, and he took the money. So I started to chase and I said, I, I better not cause I still have other money in my counter. And uh, that was my first day on the job. So then I got suspended the next day. <laughs> so my second day on the job, I got oh my God. went and took a lie detector test, went through the hole. Cause they don't know if it's my uncle, my brother, you know, I'm in cahoots with these guys. And, uh, so uh, took the took the lie detector test, you know, passed it obviously, and uh, they caught the guy. And uh, but everybody in the company, for better or worse, knew my name. So I was able to, you know, I, I, it's hard to meet the general managers and the presidents of company. I was able to do it in two days. So <laughs> no, everybody at the highest oh. level. And I remember saying, listen, if this is going to affect me moving forward, uh, it just never dawned on me, Rick, in my wildest dreams, that with all the security that a casino had that this could happen. I just didn't see it happening. And obviously I was in my early twenties and, and I learned a valuable lesson and, and we tightened up. Right. So those are Robert Walker rules that still exist to these days, you know? Um, and so I, you know, but that's, you know, I made a, a big impression to start off and uh, you know, it was uh, like I said, that was just one of the, you know, and most of I, I have other stories that go with my first time starting anywhere. My first, week or two on the job has not gone well for our company you know, so, of any company that actually went to so i had to work my way out of deep holes every single day. man that's that's unbelievable the first day on a job and you know you you know that could have been like a life-changing event where you might not even you know what i mean your path in life in the whole industry could have changed um even if you know if that lie detector test wind up not being accurate or or, or somebody maybe just said something out oh, heck with this that's unbelievable, Rob, that you were able to uh, uh, overcome that that initial you know hurdle. Um, I, I can't believe it. That's um, I'm glad and they caught the guy too. So that's another you know positive thing that, that they wind up catching him. Yeah. Oh my God. So all right. So you're at the Fremont now uh, in '86. The Fremont's a standalone joint at this point. There's no Boyd Gaming or anything like that. None of that stuff. Uh, it's just a standalone. And 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 what kind of what kind of action are we talking about back in '86? What are the limits on some of these sports? Oh, I want to say that our limits were monstrous because we were we were booking really high. So I would say that we, I'm going to say that you know, I mean, when I say monstrous comparative to what you know um, other places took, I want to say we took you know five or ten thousand, ten probably ten thousand in the NFL, but even back then three thousand, and we took really high limits on NBA totals because I know we we're getting buried in NBA totals and. Uh, so uh, we, we, you know, we had every, you know, professional better there and, you know, and then we'd move it aggressively. I, I know the first, like the second week I was there or the third week I was there, uh, somebody bet. I didn't know about Wrigley Field and, and wind. Um, so they bet and our supervisor were gone. So back then the writer could move the number, right? So on the machine we would 
So a guy went over seven and a half, and I went seven and a half over 20. Then he went over again. Anyways, the bottom line was I was at seven and a half minus a dollar eighty, and there's probably ten and a half elevens out there. So, um, so I got <laughs> once again. I'm like, how do I know there was a win in Wrigley? I, you know, I don't know anything about this, and uh, you know, I would just move it at ten, fifteen cents. And so it, it's interesting because there's just a lot of things that you had to learn. But but because we were able to move the numbers back then, um, you were kind of like a supervisor, right? So you kind of, even though we didn't book per se, but we moved numbers on, on whenever. A, professional played it I, I remember i thought i was really cute and then we had a a pro guy that was just he was following the totals basically and and uh, somebody went over like two back then they scored a lot more right well you know they didn't play as much defense i should say so he tried to go over 223 and i quoted him 226 you know um because i knew he was just going to bet the over and he goes 226 he goes are you sure that's the number i said yeah and he said okay give me the under so i never did that again <laughs> so I thought I was getting him, and he got us. So, I mean, obviously, you know, it, what's on the board is what you get, but this is, uh, you know, we had mobile, not mobile accounts, but we had phone accounts back then. So we were booking really high back then, and, and ex, you know, I would say the majority of our play was from professional players. I mean, I don't know that the Fremont had a really diverse and strong casino play even back then. You know, downtown is unique uh, in a lot of ways, but that's one of them. So uh, it was it was a really aggressive book we tried to get high handle um and and you know we were you know it was definitely a, a bookmaking clinic and uh, I, I mean i think because of that i was able to learn a, a, a extreme amount in in a short amount of time and and i had actually anticipated quitting uh because i wanted to i traveled along on a softball team and uh and you know um my brother was one of two players picked for the olympic softball uh you know the the trial whatever they do to see if they want to make that an event and he was one of two players picked for Nevada. And so I traveled around and I anticipated traveling around, but um, an older supervisor came to me and said, should I take this Quinella? You know, and I said, you know, if he's having a hard time figuring out the pay on this Quinella, I told my wife, this is a business I think I can do really well in, you know? And, uh, and so I said, I, I got to stay. So I basically retired from softball, which I loved by the way, uh, at a really early age, but uh, uh, I definitely made the right decision. Wow, fascinating stuff, man. This is great. Um, so, all right, so you're at the Fremont. Where do you go from there? What's the next step? Well, at the Fremont, I was lucky because back then you had riders, then you had separate cashiers. So the the the, the process was you wrote, and then you moved up to cashier, and you got a bump in salary each time you did this. So I went to cashier. Then once you went to cashier, you went to admin operator. And admin operator is really a quasi supervisor because you're input inputting all the games, you're putting in lines, you're doing a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff, locking out races. Back then we had to lock out races manually. And so they, all that led me to about a year later getting a, a job. Uh, Samstown was hiring a sports book supervisor. So I applied for that and I got it. Um, I worked with, there was only three of us. There was Norm Kelly and Tony Panessa. And um, I want to say Patty Jones was there when I first, she's the head of the Par Mutual Association now. Uh, so I went down there and worked there and then worked my way up to sportsbook manager pretty quickly. And our limits were much lower at Samstown, but we were much busier. I mean, that place was, I don't know if you remember it, but a huge sports book and it was an L shape. So you had a huge race book, huge sports book. And there was, because there was only three of us, you know, when somebody went on vacation, I remember working like 18 days, you know, 12 hours a day straight. I mean, it was unbelievable. And, uh, but I, I mean, I had a blast because I got to do race and sports and you, we were, you know, in a standalone sports book. Once again, we weren't linked up to the Fremont or the, or the Stardust. And, and that's kind of when I developed uh, that we should be right. Because there was times when, when people were laying a dollar 30 in, in baseball at the Stardust and taking a dollar 45 at Samstown. So I said, this makes no sense that we're middling ourselves at our own company. And, you know, I started that when I was about 28, somewhere around there, 29, said, you know, this makes no sense that we're doing this. And, uh, uh, but I was there for three full years before I, I moved on from there. Yeah, that's, that's, um, and that was, when, when did the whole start of having, you know, one location be a hub for the several locations? What year was that about? Well, you know, uh, Leroy started it, I think, you know, uh, Vic, and mm -hmm. running the books. We didn't do it because after that, I went to Fremont. He still didn't do it. And then after that, I was there for at the Fremont for only six months when Scotty Shetler left to start us. And I, uh, 
and I replaced Scotty Shetler at the start of in uh, early 1991, I think it was. And and I I was begging them to do it then. We still were not doing it, and we were very close. And uh, when I interviewed for the Mirage job, I actually said, if I told Boyd I would stay um, if they consolidated. And they said it's something we're working on, but we haven't. Uh, it's not we we're not doing it yet. And I want to say I went to the Mirage, so I took the Mirage job in '96, and and they did it. I want to say about two years later, so maybe 98 is when Boyd consolidated. And that's, I think at that time they were behind, I want to say stations was either right before us or right after us, but it was clearly the right thing to do. It was just um, the duplication of effort and having all these different lines from a company standpoint makes no sense from a better standpoint. You know, that's a killer, right? Because mm-hmm. you, you just, you know, instead of having 11 ounce, you have one. And, uh, but I mean, we, you know, we were paying, admin operators to do the same thing at every single place. And it just, it made no sense uh, fiscally uh, to continue that type of operation. So they did it just afterwards. And of course, when I got to the Mirage, we were already doing it. We were, the Bellagio was get, just getting ready to open up. We were, the Mirage was running the, you know, Golden Nugget, Golden Nugget Laughlin, some places in Reno. So we we were already doing it at the Mirage. So, you know, there was no fight there uh, uh, about doing this because I, at that point, that's what I wanted. You know, I wanted to work at a hub that, you know, had multiple, you know, uh, bets coming into that one central location. So when you didn't have a hub and there was no centralized chart, did uh, did places compare each other's chart or everybody just booked as if they were the only, you know, game in town? You, you wouldn't compare notes with other places. Like, how you know, w- you know, if you needed team A but another location in, in, in the organization needed team B, did you guys compare those notes or, or how did that work? Well, at the Stardust, it was interesting because, uh, like, when I was at the Fremont, I used to get Stardust's um, line, their their current line. So they would call me and tell me what their current line was. So at the Stardust, when I got there, we would have the lottery, which Scotty designed, and we would hang our own number. At that point, there was no, you know, Internet or Don Beth. So we didn't – nobody knew what the numbers were throughout. You know, we were – the Stardust was the line that stretched across America. We were the first line, and we took huge bets. And I increased the bets when I got there because we saw people manip- manipulating our numbers. So we said, "Listen, you're gonna have to bet it if you want us to move it." Because what would happen is they we would they would take our number and then everybody would use the Stardust number when they open up the next morning. So if you drove a number down from two to pick, everybody opens pick and then they bet the opposite way the next day. So you know if you're gonna ma- manipulate our numbers, and we and we instituted a couple other things. We said you have to have a bet if you get in the lottery or you're done. You know, because they used to have, you know, 100 people stand in line and we'd hang the numbers and then everybody would leave because they wouldn't like a number. So we had forced bets where you had to make a bet. Uh, you yeah. could bet three numbers and you had to go to the back of the line, uh, that kind of thing. But that's so then Fremont, Samstown, and I, I think that's pretty much our books. They would, they and, and maybe California, something, they would get our lines the next morning. We would tell them who we needed. But that's it. After that, they ran their own books and, you know, moved the numbers according to what they had and, um, and obviously took lower limits than, than the Stardust. And uh, and when I got to the Stardust, we were holding about 2% or less. And I remember the first year I tried to budget 2%, and they said, you'll never hold that. And, uh, you know, when I left, you know, it was, it was four times that they wanted to hold. So I'm, I always – I said, just what do you want us to hold? I'll put it in there. You know? mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was just the, the difference. Now, part of that is, is, is um, you know, we booked more events, uh, a lot more parlay, a lot more parlay card play. So – you know, higher hold uh, propositions, but uh, the difference it, uh, when it, the starters first opened up, it it was a lot of straight bets and a lot of big straight bets. And you know, I always tell the story that you know Scotty Stetler never had a losing month. I mean, I don't think they ever lost. And uh, and when I got there, we did have losing months. You know, we did. We were a little more volatile because we didn't concern ourselves with getting two way as much as as they did. But uh, he he. You know, he, they ran a re- really good book and, you know, took a lot of bets and um, and never lost. So when you get the job at the Stardust, those are, you know, Scott Shuttlers, those are pretty big shoes to fill. You see the opening, that you, you know, you, you take that position. Um, what, you know, you kept the lottery. What, did, what other things did you keep from Scott and what other things did you change to kind of make it your own? Well, the first, the first couple of weeks, uh, I was overwhelmed. I, I'd never seen anything like this, and the amount of money coming in was just – I wasn't prepared for it. And uh, So I think one of the things we did was he had less handicappers. I actually employed like six handicappers. So I made a number myself. 
you know, we keyed off a Roxy in Las Vegas Sports Consultants. And then we had five other, um, I mean, yes, we had seven in total. We had five other handicappers that we employed. And, and basically what I did was I got pretty aggressive on that opening number. Uh, you know, I would, I would shade Roxy's number a little bit more than, than, than normal. Then we keep track of which handicapper, which way the line, we didn't really care, count, care who was better, right? We didn't care that this handicapper went 58% of this. All we cared about was which handicapper does the money move, did the line move towards. That's all we cared about. So if, if, if you made a number and it moved, you know, you were three and the gate we opened pick and it moved your way close to, you got, you were one and all, right? That's all we cared about. So, you know, because you can't, it's hard to go and say who's the better handicapper. We want to know what the best line is for the public. So we're trying to get to that right number as quick as possible. So we ended up using a median line based on this, on the seven lines, including mine back then. And, uh, and it, that just took a lot of time because it, you know, it's so hard to make a line. And, you know, I was using all kinds of, you know, especially for baseball, baseball was just a nightmare to make a, a line with. So, um, and then we used the median number back then. I think they probably used an average, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, one bad number skews an average. So we were, we got to be where we were super aggressive. We had, when I first started, we said we can only be within a half, a one point of Roxy. Then, then after that, we've said, you know, we'll, you know, if we, if we're three points off of Roxy, that's fine. We'll use them as another number. And they were really, really good. And Roxy to this day is, I think, one of the most valuable assets we had back then. But we, we got super aggressive and, and felt really good about our, our number and the fact that it was hard to manipulate. And the theory there, Spanky, was, you know, you have seven good handicappers, well, six, and, and then you had me. And then what we do is, uh, you know, we, we would say, listen, we're putting up a meeting. We, we got three guys on one side that are good and three guys on the other side that is good, that are good. And then we just key it up and let you bet. So, um, and then the other thing we did was we raised the limits. Like I said, we raised the limits uh, because we saw the manipulation going on early, you know, and, and then we, we forced you to have a bet. So those are, I think those are the things that we changed, but really Scotty set up a really, you know, great uh, platform. And I think at that point their startups was doing about 25% of the business in the state. So they, they were the king by far. Now the Mirage had just opened up. I think it was getting ready to open up, but uh, has just opened up. I'm sorry. So, you know, Mirage was obviously taking some, you know, people over and, and some other books were doing well, but the startups was really, you know, the book in, in, in Las Vegas at that time. Um, one thing I find fascinating, you say six handicappers. Back then, how do you maintain a handicapper and not make him want to cross over to the other side of the counter and bet? Yeah, that's always the question, right? So we did know that some of the handicappers were betting. You know, I mean, in, in hopefully they weren't betting with us uh, or giving us bad lines or anything like that. So, you know, that's always an issue. We know, you know, most of these guys are making numbers, they're betting. You know, and uh, we had some what back then would be computerized numbers, but they weren't really the computers like you think of, right? They're basically more data entry type of numbers. Uh, so we knew that. We didn't really get involved. We weren't paying them enough to where they could make a living doing this just for us. Um, so, you know, somewhere East Coast, what they would consider an East Coast, you know, back then an early line or whatever, we would use that. And, um, and, and we didn't really get involved also in where they got those lines. What we did was, if the line never moved your way, then we just didn't use you, right? So if you weren't, if it wasn't advantageous for us to use that line, uh, we did not. But keep in mind, when once, and I don't know what year it was, but when Don Best and the Internet came into play, um, that was kind of a done deal, right? So now, now it kind of went to the offshore where it didn't really matter what we put up because at the end of the day, the offshores were taking all the big, you know, they were the new stardust. You know, the pinnacle was the new stardust. Matt, and that was the line that you needed the key off of. Uh, and that model that we had developed, or Scotty had developed, and then we, you know, we hopefully enhanced a little bit, uh, didn't make any, any sense whatsoever at that point. I mean, you know, and, and the one thing I will say, and this is important to this day, is you can't let ego get involved in this business. You've got to have zero ego because the people that have ego don't make it. They just, you can't last. If you think, you know, if you think you're the smartest guy in the room, uh, you're sadly mistaken. And if you think your way is the only way that it works, you're sadly mistaken. So I, I think it's, like I said, it's just, it's a constant evolution. It's a constant, you know, looking at stuff and saying why this doesn't work or where we're deficient here. And then shoring that up. And then, you know, there'll always be the guys that will still exploit us because of whatever the reason is, right? We're slow. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, we don't know about injuries. Uh, and then we just kind of, you know, you continue to shore that up. And, uh, and I think, 
I, I actually think that's that's where I excelled was, you know, I never had the ego. I was never, a, you know, a bookmaker growing up, and I didn't know. I kind of had a, a bean counter mentality, and I said, this works and this doesn't, you know. And, uh, um, and I always maintained, uh, a, you know, a, a fairly, I've always said you can't be friends with, you know, the pros, but you can be friendly. Um, and and they are, they're the line movers. Right, they're the people that make the lines and put you in your place and allow you to take, you know, bigger wagers from from casino players. And in our case, you know, it wouldn't be casino players; it would be, you know, just whoever, you know, your your normal everyday better that just wants to play. Yeah, understood. That's perfect. I I loved how you, you when you said you rated your handicappers, you only rated them based on where the line was going to go, um, not on their win-loss, because if you, if you get their line, if the line's moving in that right direction, then ultimately, obviously, that'll lead to more profit for the book, um, so yeah. that was, that was, um, yeah, that was great to hear that, um, so, c- compared to Scotty, uh, how did you treat wise guys back then, I, you know, you just mentioned you can't be friends, but you could be friendly, can you, let, let's break that down a little bit. Well, I mean, you know, when I first got to Stardust, you know, all the pros would come and say, you know, if, if I need them, they give me their numbers, and if I need them to get us off of a game. You know, the problem with that is they, I mean, it'd be one thing if a guy, you know, we took a three thousand, you know, a 300000 our bet from a casino player at minus three, and then they came back and bet, you know, 250 on at plus three, right? But it doesn't, you know, it doesn't work that way. So, you know, they want three even money or three and a half or four. Um, so I, I learned pretty quickly that, you know, I had a few guys say we're in this business together. It's us against the uh, public, and I learned pretty quickly that I didn't want to. I wanted to retain the value for my company. You know, for our company. And you know, I said, why would we let these guys get us off? We should have enough money to pay this off if we lose, right? So, so the the theory was then, you know, I would like to get use them. Uh, you know, util- I guess use or utilize them. And utilize is probably a nicer word uh, to get us to the right number, but also utilize them when we need to. Uh, uh, to take, uh, you know, when we need to take larger wagers, you know, and uh, um, and the, the problem is it's hard to do, right? Because, you, you know, on one hand, you kind of need them. On the other hand, I don't really want them betting on, you know, on injury games and that kind of stuff. So, But certainly when I had taken a, a huge wager and I want to, you know, hedge my position a little bit, I want them to be there for us. And uh, it's a catch-22, right? So, But I, I always said that, you know they do a you know they do a lot of service and I still say this today they keep the public right they keep the public in uh, uh, they don't let us you know we're not at nine when the game is seven because they're keeping us in line right so they do the service a great service to the public they let the public lay a better number we always know what the right number is because of the pros um, and so my my opinion's always been unless there's circumvention or something or you know getting hit at several counters at once um, that uh, you know, we need these guys. We need to know who they are, what they're doing, and and that's kind of I use those guys to kind of determine the limits, right? So, you know, if I was to give you two thousand dollars on a WNBA game, that would probably you would dictate what my decision was, right? So, I need to give you the amount the the amount on that game where you don't decide how we do on that game, uh, because I have this public play on the other side or or whatever. So, and that's kind of how I do the limits on every game, and I've done that for you know, 25 years now is how much can I take from, you know, from Spanky, for example, uh, before uh, I need Spanky to lose. I don't want to be in that position, you know, where I need you to lose for us to make money. So, uh, and 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 so let's say I, I kick you out, for example, then you, then somebody else replaces you. I don't know who that is until you know, it takes me a month to find out who that is. And then I kick that person out. Then I, I, I don't understand that mentality um, in my world, in my mind, uh, there's there's a space for that information, and that's really what you guys do. And I think any pro player gives us information, right? And that's critical. Man, this is music to my ears, Rob. I really like what you just said. You know, it it it, it it's 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 the mentality that you just have that, you know, okay, you know, we we you put you put some people like me on for a fair limit. You pay for the information. You know, I you, you book the bet. Most likely, um, I'm gonna probably win in the long run. But you want me to win if you're running the book right, because if I win, you're winning, and we're all winning. 
and um, and like you said, you don't put me on to a big amount where you need me to lose. And um, it's like a you got it's like a fine line where you want to keep me around to give me just enough for me to give you the pop. And um, and you can't give me too much because then it'll hurt you. Give me too little, you know, I'm not even gonna be a customer. So uh, I love how it's it's like a balancing act. And um, where you want to try to get the information for as cheap as possible. That's what it comes down to. Um, unfortunately, in today's world, you know, with the delays and all this other stuff, guys get this information and they just get it for free. They see bets coming into the queue or they see bets coming in and they just air move you. So it's kind of like, you know, using guys like me and like, as a line service and we don't even get a bet down. How do you feel about that with some of these joints? Well, we, I'm, uh, you know, I we do move uh, lines on air, and I've always said, you know, never let somebody lay six and a half if they'll lay seven, right? So, um, I know people go back and forth on that. The, the the problem I have right now is with this market number. I don't understand the market number. So, if you know, and we see it on big games, right, like Super Bowl. If, if nobody wanted to move off of you know two and a half last year on the Patriots, for example, and we were at three minus dollar twenty in New Mexico because our play was all on the Patriots, so. This market number, I don't get it. And it's really interesting when, when if you think you have a market number, if you've eliminated the pro player. Yeah, you, you can't have a good a, a market number and eliminate the pro player at the same time. It doesn't exist. You need to have – those guys are, in my mind, the, the sharp guys are going to put you in your place. And like you said, you just you, – whatever that number is, and I don't know, and I've lowered uh, many pro players. I told them, you're too good. I can't give you 2,000 on the side or whatever. Whatever the you know the limits were, it's different than Mirage where we took you know substantially higher wages. But it just you know it, it and, it's, and it's different in every sport. But like I said, I think the key is is you know that's why I think you've got to remove your ego. You know if you've got a really good player, utilize that person, move it aggressively, get on their side as best you can, and then just write as much business as you can. You know and uh, uh, and until you have to move it again, right? So. And I think that's true of anything, including the derivatives, where are, obviously we take a lot lower limits on these derivatives than we would on the game itself. But I think ultimately that could change. I think we could take more on, you know, first half, first quarters, first team to score. Once we get, we treat that market uh, more like we treat the pre-market, which is, uh, you know, and we there was an evolution there, and I think there'll be an evolution here on the props too, where, and, and like, like I said, it's, it also does a service to the small player. That's that's the one thing I don't think people understand. When you take bets from a, from a pro player and he puts you in your place or puts you to the right number, um, then it allows the smaller player to lay a better number. And I think that's good. I think that's a win-win for everybody. And I don't see, you know, how that's bad. Um, and I and I understand the adversarial relationship that we have sometimes with pro players, right? Because they're trying to take, you know, our money and. But at the end of the day, I, I think, like you said, it's a balancing act, and I think there's room for everybody. But the most important thing is, is get to the right number, and I say this all the time. Our, our goal is to get to the right number as cheaply and as efficiently as we can. And we never know what that right number is. So how do you get there? You, gotta have, you have to have somebody that bets it, you know, and that's how you get there. All right, so th that last line you just said, how do you get to the right number cheaply? There, there's there's places that won't, like let's just say for college football, there's places that will uh, that won't even open up until Tuesday for the, for the Saturday's games because they don't want to go through the process of, 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 of right and sharp action to get to the right number. Um, some places will open up Sunday night, Monday morning. Where do you stand on something like that? Well, we try to put overnights up and... Um you know, just the, because the, the parlay guys want to play it. And what we don't want is we don't want somebody catching out. You know, we got killed on the Lakers and over the night before last. And, you know, they in the, you know they tend to bet it back. You know, what we found is, you know, people that crush us uh, tend to bet it back. <laughs> so we want to put the number up as quick as possible. Uh, you know, we put up the number that we think is good and, and move it uh, based on the play that we get, hopefully. And, um, so I, I mean, I don't want to be the first one up. I can tell you right now, I, I have no interest in ever being the first one up again. Um, I think that's, you know, you have, you have to say why, why do we want to do it? What is the value to to our clients? You know, and, and and the difference is we're we're managing you know risk for clients right now, and and so I would say why does USB want to get into that market? Right, if it's our own money in our own app, 
And, you know, let's say we went into Tennessee with U.S. bookmaking for Maine that, that might have some advocate uh, deals for, you know, for people like us. Then it's different, right? And if we want to be aggressive, we want to go in there and open up our first number and, and take higher limits. That's up to us because we're not managing. You know, it's so different when you're managing risk for somebody. It's, you know, you're more conservative managing risk for somebody else than you are with your own money. And it's uh, and I think that's the problem when when you open like you know the wind opened up the first number and tried to be offshore and stuff and um, and so you got to balance it. What what was the publicity they got? Uh, considering the risk that they took, and keeping in mind that Wim has pretty deep pockets and afford, you know, some some you know big large beats, and they, and they also they took smaller limits. So uh, I'm perfectly fine with the offshore doing what they do, and then seeing where the numbers went. And and I know for a fact that people that are you know booking high and and I think booking very well are offshore books. I have nothing but the highest regard for the people that make their living booking sports. You know, I mean, what you know. You you see, you know, I very rarely use the win line or the MGM, and I love those places. I love their managers, but their numbers are skewed because they took a two hundred thousand dollar bet from a casino player. I I want no part of in that number. I don't care what that number is. You know why do I, you know, and they take back whatever they take back, but that's not a legitimate number in my mind. The leg- legitimate numbers are the people that are writing business on both sides of the game. Uh, that's the right number, and that's kind of the numbers. And I've done this since I was at the Mirage, too, by the way. This is nothing new. I, I looked at mostly offshore books, and I, I've made no secrets. I've looked at offshore books since, you know, basically since, uh, you know, Don Best became prevalent. I really don't care about about – I really don't care about the, the Nevada books because they all have their own – you know, everybody's doing their own thing. It's so – um, I mostly tailor everything we do to uh, offshore books, and I'm hoping one of these days – when we we really we really get our act together with USB and we're getting there right we're going to be in a position to compete in New Jersey and Indiana and Tennessee and these other uh, jurisdictions when we get there I'm hoping that people will key off the US bookmaker because I think that's how good that number will ultimately be so yeah you know I appreciate you being real on how you look at the offshore bookmakers. There's a lot of regulated bookmakers, uh, you know, in New Jersey or a lot of them that they come in and a lot of them, you know, advise. I see these panels. I've listened to some of these panels where they say, you know, we need to get rid of the offshore bookmaker or we need to try to have our customers ignore it. And they don't even realize that their numbers are automatically based um, on what the offshore bookmakers are dealing, um, and if you get rid of offshore bookmakers' numbers, they don't. You know, some of these. You know, again, these higher ups, they don't even know that there is automatic parsers and everything happening on the back end that is just piggybacking off these offshore numbers. So I think it's so naive and so out of touch with the world with some of these regulated shops that think that they can operate without looking at an offshore number, um, where they don't even know that their own company is looking at that. Um, so I appreciate your honesty, and 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 you're right. It is it is um it is you know offshore is where the line originates. It's where uh, the big things happen, and um and that's just a fact of life. And I don't I don't see that changing anytime soon. Um, do you you know you just mentioned one day it could you know do you think that could change or will offshore always be king? No, I don't think offshore will always be king. I think it, I think right now it's going to be a really good time for them because I think um, the Europeans have a, you know they're doing something one way they have this you know whatever you call this market number right so I don't think um, I think it's going to it's it eventually you know they'll they'll get better which they will you know they're they're smart guys they'll get better I think eventually that we'll be able to compete with uh, offshore but you you certainly you certainly can't compete with offshore now. Like, how do you compete with offshore in Oregon, for example? And, and this is nothing against Oregon, although I've been critical. But, you know, they don't book college sports, right? Uh, they don't have a lot of, of a U.S. type of prop. So, you know, how does how does Oregon compete with the offshore? I, and the problem that you have is if you, if you can only have one app, you know, the, the Oregon lottery or your offshore account, which you're perfectly happy with, you're going to play on your offshore account because – Today there's you know 50 college basketball games. Why would you not want to bet those? <laughs> you know, so I just you know so until that time happens, so there's going to be some regulatory issues I think, and there's also some issues with uh, with uh, uh, 
you know, limits. You see the limits where people can only bet $11 or $15. Until those things are short up, I think the offshore will always be king. And one of the things, too, Snake, is offshore does a lot more as far as, uh, as uh, credit is concerned. You know, they, they, they're a little bit better on those areas than we are. So I think that has a lot to do with it as well. Well, listen, all the credit to you guys. You know, U.S. bookmaking, you guys are a U.S. bookmaking company. You know, you guys, the experience that you and Vic bring into this um, uh, is very different than what the Europeans bring into it. You know how to book U.S. sports. You're proficient at it. You know exactly you have experience. Um, and, and that's something that's a breath of fresh air. I'd love to see you guys um, to be able to expand it to several different states. Explain to me now exactly, you know, where U.S. bookmaking is and how... Um, you guys, like, what kind of split is, let's say U.S. bookmaking, you have your sports books in, in certain casinos. How is that earn split up? How does your company earn? Is there a percentage? How does all that work? Yeah, so it, each, each jurisdiction is different. So we're right now our first book was in Santa Ana. They took a chance on us. So we're in Santa Ana, which is in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, because we got that book, we were able to get Isleta which is a book in the other uh, part of uh, Albuquerque. Uh, we just signed uh, and opened up uh, a little sports uh, casino in uh, Santa Fe uh, called Santa Clara. So we had three sports books for the Super Bowl. So we get we get a small percentage of the revenue to uh, to manage the, the risk for these guys, and we you know we bring in the software, which in this case is Stadium. Uh, we're going into Colorado soon, uh, Iowa, and and we're working on some uh, deals in Michigan. So we'll be in all three of those places. And, you know, obviously Michigan and Iowa, um, very exciting because they have mobile. You know, it'll be our first time right now in New Mexico. We don't have mobile. But but basically every deal is unique based on there's a lot of factors. But it, at the end of the day, we're, we're a management company, and we get a small percentage of the revenue. Uh, you know, it, it's different. Like if we went into, like I said, if we went into Tennessee, for example, then you get all the revenue. In Maine, we would get all the revenue. So we're partners with these guys, and you know, we're, and you know, we couldn't have been luckier to get into New Mexico. Like I, I was joking the other day that we're doing great in New Mexico and terrible in the other 40 states. But the, but the reality is, we're, we're, you know, we're moving into, um, like I said, Colorado. It looks like it's a May 1st uh, start. Uh, uh, Iowa, we're just waiting for our system to get out out of uh, gaming. Uh, so it's been in gaming for several months, and. You know, we're going to be late to the party there, but the key is we're bringing really good, um, you know, really good product there. Once we get it, we think we're going to have a line advantageous to the betters, you know, and, 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 and where does that, so what does that mean, right? So, if we, you know, if I go in there and say we have a 16-cent line, which is a 4% hold, as opposed to a 4.5% hold, which is a 20-cent line, and, and what that means to the, you know, casual better is their parlays pay a lot more. So if you're late, we pay true odds on our parlays, Mikey, so if you're, we don't send you to a pay chart that pays 13 to 5 or 6 to 1 or 10 to 1. So if you're laying a dollar eight times a dollar eight times a dollar eight or, or less in baseball, your parlay pays substantially greater. So that's where, you know, so it means a lot to the bigger player, I think, but it also means a lot to the smaller player. You know, it's, you think about how often you can save money laying a dollar eight as opposed to a dollar ten, uh, and then also the upside on the parlay. So, so we're excited to bring some of these things to these other states and, and we think that's how we compete with, you know, the FanDuel's, DraftKings, William Hills of the world. Beautiful. Just a quick question because I'm trying to understand how things work. So you have two casinos in New Mexico. They're all dealing your numbers. The, the, each casino has a separate revenue, so they're going to earn depending on how they write their business. Are you dealing a, a separate number for each joint, or are you just dealing one number, which is essentially a market consensus number? How does it work when it comes to dealing numbers? So yeah, so we have three now because the third one opened up in Santa Clara. But mm -hmm. we, yeah, that's what happens. We start with the with the consensus number, what you said, a market consensus number, and then we basically move the lines uh, based on the play that we take at that at that casino. So like for Super Bowl, uh, we may be, you know, we were at two, and I think we we're at two and a half at Santa Ana, and we're at two flat at uh, Isleta, for example. So in the money lines, we're ten, fifteen cents different. So. Based on because we obviously you know how it works we can't take a large wager at Santa Ana and then take that get all the buyback at Isleta. It's See, not fair to Isleta. This is very noble of you uh, and and I, I I really commend you for that because the easy way out the easy way out that people you know that other places might do is just deal one number and they just deal a market consensus number and they don't book to their own chart. 
So for you to be able to book each in the, to, to each chart independently, I think is very admirable. And I think uh, as a company, let's just say if I owned a casino or if I was able, I would love that, that to bring you guys in and you book to your to, to my chart. I don't care about what the other joint is dealing. Um, even though you're providing the service to them, you book to my chart and my chart only, and that that, that I, I I can't praise you enough for doing that. Well, that's one good thing about the stadium system, you know, and, uh, you know, we're really close with Richie Bachelary and uh, I know he was on your show, but we, you know, we got such high regards for him and, and, you know, his system, which we think is one of the best systems out there, especially from a retail level. There's just nobody better, but it allows us to have different numbers, you know, and so I think some of it's making limitations on the software. I think, you know, I think some, you know, and I won't mention any softwares, but I don't think they have the ability to do it. I think they have to stay at one number. And the problem is, like, you know, if you're in Mississippi and you're getting buried on the Saints, um, and it's not fair to the Mississippi book, right? Because mm-hmm. um, because they're balancing out in Las Vegas, for example. Well, um, that works like at the Mirage. We went to the Mirage, we had obviously one number at all times. And, and, and it's because we didn't care if the bet came from Mandalay Bay or Indian Grand or the Mirage or Bellagio because it all went to the one pool or one company. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's unique here. Now, now. I think once the Wire Act goes away, and I'd love to do your show again when the Wire Act goes away, if it ever does, because that opens up a whole other issue where we can allocate and we can take bets across state lines, and we and it all goes into one central pool, and then everybody gets a cut based on what they wrote. That's that's the ideal. That's the you know Shangri La of what where we want to be eventually. But you know that may never happen. And so in the meantime, we try to, for the most part, we try to balance out the books at their books. It's really hard because, honestly, we don't have a lot of, uh, you know, professional players um, at the uh, – uh, we don't have a lot of professional players at these joints. I think we will. I know we will in Colorado. So in Colorado, you know, every pro will be on our mobile, even if, you know, that's all we have on mobile account because uh, the pros will be on every account and, and every out they get. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for us. But, you know, we, we're, we're trying – you know, we – you know, we're trying to do the best we can for our partners because we want to make as much money for our partners as we can. In turn, obviously, the more money they make, the more revenue we get. So, you know, we're not altruistic or anything. You know, we're trying to make as much money as we possibly can uh, for them. And, and so far, it's, it's, you know, we, we couldn't be happier. And, you know, you know, Vic, and, you know, he's just a joy to work for. And, you know, he's going to be in two Hall of Fames here. So, you know, i got to work for a Hall of Famer on both sides of the coast. Um, <laughs> and he's just... I've known Vic for, you know, 35 years, ever since I broke into the business, you know, and it's just been, you know, uh, I actually found a story that I wrote about him, you know, back in 85. So it's just, it's just interesting to be on, and, and there's not a nicer guy to work for. I mean, and there's not another guy that has seen as much as this guy has seen. So, um, you know, I think, I think that we bring a lot to the table, you know, and, um, you know, we, when we talk about experience, we try to downplay it somewhat, Spanky, because I think, there's this misnomer that experience translates to non-technical. You know, we're the technical part of it. We're it's critical to us. We want to be on the cutting edge. We think we have ideas that are going to change some of the industry the way it's it, it's done. And uh, and at the very worst case scenario, we're going to be the the fairest book out there as far as pricing goes. And and for the consumer, uh, you know, for the consumer, we want to be the best book out there. And we want everybody to associate U.S. bookmaking with the uh, at the very least, at the very least, you know, the fairest book out there. Rob, you're getting me excited. Should I send somebody to New Mexico to sit in a casino all day? <laughs> That's up to you. you know, we raised our limits today, so we raised our limits to, you know, 1,000 on, uh, I should say they raised their limits to 1,000 on college basketball. We're taking 1,000 in NHL. When we first started, we were only taking 500 on, on that was our highest bet, and then so next year we'll be taking five thousand on NFL and and two thousand on the on the totals and, and money line. So I, I think you know we're taking two thousand on the NBA. Those are pretty good limits for those those properties. And no, just just so you know, those properties are phenomenal. They're you know I, I tell people Santa Ana and Letta, it's like you know the Orleans and, and Red Rock. I mean there's those type of size uh, casinos. So you know I was shocked when I went down there to see how you know I had this you know, obviously, you know, bias and I, I, you know, everything is in Nevada and Nevada's the greatest and we're, we're the only ones who know how to do anything and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I went down there, they're phenomenal places, well-run organizations, very profitable. And, uh, 
and hopefully, you know, we're enhancing that, that they're, uh, you know, we know people are coming in to play sports and we told them that, and, and we weren't wrong about that. More people are coming into their casinos than ever before. And, and sports books is driving a lot of that. Man, that sounds great. I think the future is bright for U.S. bookmaking, Rob, and um, I wish you guys all the success in the world. I'm going to be also bringing Vic on the show um, sometime very soon, and um, and uh, every time I've talked to him, he said nothing but good things about you. You guys are uh, like peanut butter and jelly. You guys go real good together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, he's been. You know, he rescued me, and I was working in Bimini uh, for Genting. We opened Genting didn't have any sports books, so I went to Genting after I, I had retired for a few years, and my daughter could go to school in Washington, I, and I went to work for Genting, and I was stuck in Bimini, and I was, you know, going to come here and hopefully run this, you know, property here for Genting, and, and he came down there and said, listen, yeah, we're going to do this, and Pat was going to get repealed, and uh, we want you to be part of it, and I, I, I think I was on the next plane, you know, I obviously gave my two weeks notice, and, and I consulted for him for the next year as well from here, but I, I couldn't have been more excited. And, uh, you know, everything has fallen into place, Banky, with, with past being repealed and everything else. So, you know, it's just a very exciting time. It, it's kind of going slower than than we would like uh, just because we wanted, you know, we waited so long for this. You know, us old-timers have just – I was beginning to think I would never see this happen, and it just didn't make any sense because I knew everybody was – all my friends in other states are betting, and I'm like, what is going on? It just makes no sense that PASPA hasn't been repealed yet. So – you know, we couldn't be happier, and we do think we agree with you. I think the future is, is you know, it's ours to decide, and that's all you can ask for. Man, Rob, that sounds great. I really, yeah, I think you guys are, are uh, you know, I love to see a U.S. company, you know, rise up and, 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 and to be able to spread um, spread out. You know, again, the European companies, most of them haven't treated me personally, you know, very well. So it's good to see a company like yours spread out, and I'd love, hopefully, to see you in Jersey. Um, you know, I know Jersey's pretty saturated, but, you know, there's always, we'd love to, if you guys can make it to the East Coast, that would be great. Um, before we oh, end, we would, yeah. We would love before we end, Rob, is there any advice you could give an up-and-coming better? You know, the name of the podcast is "Be Better Betters." What kind of advice can you give to somebody that's up-and-coming that wants to be able to bet to be a you know not just doesn't have to be bet professionally, but just you know lose less or, or maybe maybe switch it from losing a little to winning a little? What advice could you give? Well, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's, it's a tough question because it's not black and white. So I think if you aspire to be a pro, then I, I would concentrate on, on the, what we talked about, the derivatives, right? The, and I would be an expert in, you know, in conferences where you knew. One thing we don't know, Spanking, you know that, is we don't know, you know, we know what the sixth man for Duke means, but we don't know what the sixth man for Coastal Carolina means, right? So you might have an ad, advantage of us in, in certain conferences if you want to pay attention to those conferences. But I tell everybody the same thing, you know, um, you know, don't chase steam. That's one thing they'll, they'll get, you know, if you get the best number, um, you'll, you'll win. If you beat the closing number, I think you said that a million times, you'll do pretty good, but don't chase that number. And if the number moves against you, uh, respect it. You know, I think you have to respect that number. So if you see a number, you know, that's four and everybody's on the favorite, you know, and it goes down to two and a half, don't, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't lay the favorite. You you made a mistake. I would. Yeah, I would think that you better look at your handicapping, right? So you know these these moves. So I. But I tell most people the same thing. You know, have fun. If you want to be a pro, as you know, it's it's not a full, it's not a forty hour job. It's a full time job, and you're you better have a you know fairly decent bankroll, and you're going to go through ups and downs, and you have to have the personality to do it. I didn't have that personality, so I got on this side of the counter. You have to have discipline, right? So I, I think the most important thing is is have fun. You know, never bet more than you can afford to lose. You know, and and, and try to get the most the best information you can. And when I say that, I don't mean tout. Uh, if you see a tout that says they picked eighty percent, run away, run away, save your money. You know, look at what other people do. You know, I I tell people to read. You know, uh, you know Matt David and and Ed Ed's book on on sports betting. You got to read. You want to read as much good stuff out there as you can and, uh, and take advantage of it. And then at the end of the day, pick your own winners and losers, but, you know, just educate yourself. I think, you know, I, I think that's true for stock picking or anything else, right? You just, if, you're, if you want somebody to tell you how to do it uh, or to do it for you, you're probably not going to be successful long term. You may have a, a good short, 
uh, term, but I don't think uh, um, that you'll do it long term. And, and when I said Ed and Dave, you know, we're we're and Matt, we're really involved with, uh, you know, we're big deck prism guys. Uh, um, you know, that's one thing that we're using and utilizing is, is their in-game wagering once we move forward. So we're really excited, you know, to bring that. And we think, you know, the delays on in-game wagering, thank you, not that we want to eliminate completely. And uh, we think we're going to be able to do that. And I think that's another thing that goes to customer service. But the better themselves, you know, educate yourself. You know, read as much as you can. And if you don't, just go out there and have fun and treat it like a movie. I always say the same thing. You know, if you bet a game, it's a roller coaster of emotions. You're into that game and, um, you know, you put $10 on it. You feel like you're a player or a coach and you, and you have action, right? So uh, if you go to a movie and it's a bad movie, you don't get your, your $10 back. But if you bet a game for $10, uh, you're into that game. You're having a blast, and you got a 50-50 chance of doubling your money. By far, the best value from an entertainment perspective of anything out there. So, and that's the way I would treat it. Uh, decide if you want to have fun or if you want to be a pro. Very great advice, Rob. Thank you so much for coming on, brother. I appreciate the time, my friend. Anytime, Spanky. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed that interview with Robert Walker. I hope you guys liked it. He's been around for a long time, knows his stuff. I wish nothing but success for U.S. bookmaking. Hope they expand throughout the country. And maybe one day wind up in my home state of New Jersey. Thanks so much, everybody, for the time. Until next time.